You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. All right, yeah, Tommy's here in studio, and we knew he was coming. Also, I have an apology for you. You did tell us that you were going to be here um, last Thursday when you surprised us by coming in, but you shouldn't really have surprised us because although Aaron did say when the show ended, yeah, I I think Tommy told us he was going to be away for both Tuesday and Thursday, and I said, yeah, that's what I thought. And then somebody tweeted and said, nope, go back and listen to your podcast. He told you that he was just going down there for a day. And I went back and listened, and yes, you told us that on the air. So we, I, I'm, you know I'm not a good listener of you. I'm a, I'm a decent listener in general, just not to you. I, I don't listen very well when you're talking. <laughs> well, that's you know. Been, that's built up, been built up over the years. You know, I'd like to say your apology means something, but let's face it. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things you need to apologize for. This is low uh, on the totem That's ball. probably true. All right, Tommy's here uh, in studio. Uh, the show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. Uh, we're going to go through our brackets today on the show. Tommy, Aaron, and me will go through all uh, of the brackets and come up with our national champion, and we'll post those somehow on our website um, for you all to follow uh, along. I actually, Tommy, have an exercise, and this is for you too, Aaron. I have an exercise that I'm going to go through. Um, You know I don't like exercise. I know you don't, and you're going to hate one part of it in particular because it deals with an advanced statistic. Um, But I have... Come up with a formula that narrows the field from 68 down to five teams that are most likely to win the tournament. Um, Even though my bracket will not pick one of those five teams. (laughs) And we'll get to that. I'll explain that later on. I wanted to start with this because you were working at 106.7 yesterday hosting for Chad with Andy in the afternoon. And 106.7 yesterday got a ton of attention, I mean national attention, because of Eric Bickle's report on the junkies in the morning where um, he uh, reported that Jay Gruden found out about Landon Collins being signed by the Redskins through the media and was not involved in any of the personnel uh, off-season decisions and was very frustrated by it. That's paraphrasing the report. Yeah, but that's pretty accurate. And so... I wanted to to be clear for those of you on Twitter who said that I shot down the report yesterday on the podcast. That's not true. I did not shoot down that report. Uh, Not entirely. I just said that according to the people that I know in some of my sources, that Jay has been involved and been asked to participate in evaluating quarterbacks this particular offseason. So free agents, you know, Case Keenum, a trade target, other trade targets, college quarterbacks. That may be a change, by the way, and I think it may be from from recent years. But this year, with respect to quarterback, he's involved. But I did not dispute what I thought was the gist or the meat of, of EB's uh, news, which is that Jay learned about the Landon Collins signing from the media and that he was frustrated. I, I believe that to be true. And and I, I think that it is more likely than not 
um, that that Jay hasn't been in. Well, he hasn't been involved that much in the past, and isn't that much involved now in most of the decisions that are being made this off season, including decisions related to his own staff, and that there may be some frustration there. So. Most of what EB reported, I absolutely did not dispute at all. I just believe that the one part of it that Jay is involved in this offseason, at least I've been told, is that he has been asked for his opinion and his evaluation of quarterbacks. Whereas last year, Alex Smith was basically sprung on yes. spr- sprung on him yeah. um, by surprise, and he was not asked to, to evaluate. I believe he's much more involved in the quarterback and evaluation did not, this year. Did not evaluate any college quarterbacks last year, right? Never. They what? never had a reason to no. once the Alex Smith trade but happened. But still, everybody does that. It's kind of due diligence. Of course. You know, the one thing I would also just mention is that it's not totally unique in the history of the NFL where GM picks players, coaches coach players. Right. We just know in this case, you know, that the GM or team president, if you will, I think we've all learned what others knew long before, that this particular team president isn't very good at running personnel or picking players. And Jay might actually have the best eye for talent of anybody out there. That's not saying much. I understand that. But, you know, here's the deal, and I've said this for a while, Tommy, the past few years. Jay is go along to get along. He is probably feeling frustration and probably deep down thinks Bruce is a total buffoon when it comes to picking players, etc. But he's not going to say it. They are friends. Remember this. Bruce gave him his shot, gave him his extension, gave him his financial freedom. You know, for him and his family, for the rest of their lives, he's playing this, Jay is, in a smart way for him economically. Remember, he's made $20 million now over five years. He's due to make another $10 million over the next two years with a 35-44 and one record <laughs> and one playoff game that he lost. How many places? How many places would a team president or, or an owner, would they still be paying this guy? So anyway, I, I I didn't shoot down the report. Did not do that on the podcast yesterday. I just suggested that one part of it, that that one part of personnel that Jay is involved in this year, and it's a change, I believe, is he's been asked to evaluate quarterbacks and give him their opinion. How much influence that carries, I don't know, but at least they're asking this year. Well, look, the, the whole dynamic of general managers picking players and coaches coaching them. Yeah, I, I understand that dynamic, but I'm thinking even good organizations that are set up that way. I agree with you. Still, still the general manager is going to say to the coach or the coaches, what do you think of this guy? Right. What do you think of that guy? And ultimately the general manager will be the final decision maker in something like this. So, so it, it could be separate like that, but in most organizations you would seek input from the position coaches on put on different you know position players you're interested in whether it's free agency in the draft we have this interesting dynamic in the Redskins organization where everybody's an idiot i mean really think about it i mean Bruce Allen is an idiot but he may smart enough be smart enough to say what do I want to ask these idiots their opinion for <laughs> well this coaching staff i mean really thick's coaching staff this might be one of the worst coaching staffs in the NFL. 
I mean, you've got you've got Bill Callahan, who supposedly Jay Gruden can't stand anymore. You've got Greg Minuski, who who they tried to replace all offseason right in front of them. You had three coaches leave to take similar jobs or worse jobs just to get out of here. And you brought in a guy like Rob Ryan who had, who had who was out of football, had to call the Redskins. This may be the worst coaching staff in the NFL. So if Bruce Allen in a moment of clarity may think, why should I ask these bozos? It, well, it, it, it's a stupid convention. You know what? Here's where I would disagree with you. I would disagree that that's the reason he's not asking him. I think it's arrogance and well, sure it's self-absorption it and narcissism because, remember, a lot of these people are his decisions, so he doesn't think they're stupid. He's the one that's hired them. Um, I also would just say that, you know, my opinion of Jay hasn't changed from day one. He's an average coach, period. He's, you know, somewhere between 16, 15 and 20 on the list of head, 14 and 18 on the list of head coaches. I also don't think that Jay Gruden's dumb. I actually think Jay Gruden has some savvy to him. I think he is non-confrontational with Bruce and Dan. He's go along to get along, and, and, and that's worked against chances for this organization to succeed, but has probably helped him personally continue to be employed and paid big money. Remember this, Jay Gruden's making head coaching money right now. He's going to end up getting paid for seven years for what will turn out to be, or six years, I don't know about that seventh year if it's guaranteed, I forget about that two-year contract extension, which kicks in this year because he had, the original deal was five years, all right, twenty million, million four million a year. Then he got the extension for two. I don't right. know if that second year of the extension is hard and fast. If he if they own the money, if they fire him after this year or not, but he's been able to hang on as an average coach with a losing record, with one playoff game, a playoff loss, and earn twenty million dollars. Do another four million this year. Um, at twenty, so twenty-four million dollars, um, and there's some savvy to that because Tommy, I don't know that he'll ever get a chance after this place to be a head coach and make that coach. kind of money again. It's like when you said about Jim Zorn, well, you know how stunned he was to get the job, and then during that final season in two thousand nine, when he was using words like comply, yes, you know he was reading from a, 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 a lawyer's email to him. This is what you must do. You must comply or they can fire you. And his wife's saying, whatever you have to do, you <laughs> stick in there and make sure they pay you every cent because you'll never earn right. like you're earning right now. And so I, I and, and overall, I actually think Jay is not a true dummy like the rest of them in the organization. There are I know we've said this a lot over the years, and I know some of you have a sense that it's true just based on observation, but throughout the organization, whether it's PR, whether it's personnel, whether it's front office, you know, higher up in the front office, whether it's, you know, some of the sales, I mean, you're not talking about any rocket scientists out there. I mean, it is... The conversations that people like Tommy and I and people in the media have had with some of the people out there, we've all left those conversations going, oh my God. Yes. I mean, wow, the limitations intellectually 
um, among that group out there. So th- that's why they don't win more, you know, that combined. And I've said this before, arrogance and being arrogant and dense is the worst combination because you're never, ever going to learn from the mistakes because you don't, you don't know that they're mistakes and you would never admit to them. To and you with. would not listen to somebody who would tell you and there's yeah. nobody there to tell you. Right. Uh, and the thing with Jay, though, uh, let's remember his uh, – he still, you know, let, his first year, he wasn't necessarily a go-along-to-get-along guy because – Because of the Griffin it, thing, but he, he got shot down on that real quickly. Yeah, he did. But it took him a while. and then, But once in a while, when Jay is in front of a microphone – he has that moment. I know. He does. He has that moment where, you know, God, I got to say something about this. Well, to that point, on Friday, and I played this on the podcast on Friday, um, the uh, the quote that you have used many times when Jay at the end of the season spoke to coaching and personnel need to be together. On more, the same page. On the same page. This well, is this is after five years. I know. Of, of being yes. with this front office. Right. So Doug Williams on Friday after the Landon Collins press conference, on Thursday, excuse me, after the Landon Collins press conference, was doing you know a media scrum, and Chris Russell asked him a question that basically asked Doug to speak to how much you know they are looking at the acquisition of players to fit scheme, the coach's scheme. And Doug basically said, not at all. We don't even really know what the scheme is. I mean, he basically admitted that personnel and coaching are not really in sync at all, which is what Jay wanted at the end of the year. I I just, you know, trying to predict what what that news, which, by the way, was revealing to a certain extent with with respect to Landon Collins, I, I would have, based on what I heard with with respect to his involvement in the quarterback stuff, I was surprised to hear about the Landon Collins thing, but I do believe it. I do believe that yeah, that, so that it's absolutely something he he may have found out via the media. Um, but I, um, you know, those that think that it's an absolute sign that Jay is a lame duck. Well, didn't you know that before? Didn't you have a sense of that before? Yeah, but you you thought you really thought he was a lame. You're surprised I he's back. I I am. I am. So. I thought. I thought this was a year, you know, with, you know, normal context. And I guess there was some things out of context. The Alex Smith injury injury would be a big one. Um, But I just thought that he had to go to the playoffs this year to survive. I thought Bruce, you know, I didn't think Bruce was going to come back until it became obvious that he was coming back. And that's why, you know, next year absolutely feels like a lame duck year. I think it's one of the reasons... A big reason, not the only reason, the organization is part of the reason. People don't want to work for it. But I think it's one of the big reasons you had coaches leave for lateral moves and you had to pluck... You know, Rob Ryan and Ray Horton basically out of work yes. to coach, and Tim Rattay, who had never, who's never coached in the NFL before, to coach positions because you couldn't attract anybody else, in part because people do want stability in their lives. This is not a stable organization, and Jay Gruden's position is perceived as lacking in stability. Jay Gruden can't look at an assistant coach he's interviewing and say, I can protect you. Exactly. Can't he do can't. that. Um, just one, um, I want to get to the flowers thing here in a moment. Uh, but if you just uh, actually, we'll go to flowers right now. They signed Eric flowers one year, $4 million, you know, salary deal. They're going to try to play him at guard. Right. All right. Which, you know what? I don't have a problem with at all. 
I mean, I can't, I'm not going to sit here like some others and go through size, speed, strength, you know, technique and tell you that Eric Flowers, you know, that the Giants totally whiffed and should have been playing him at guard because that's what they would have probably tried to do if they could have because he was such a bust and an early bust at tackle. But I don't know if it'll work or not. But given their situation of needing a guard and knowing that Sean Laval is not the answer, and Sean Laval is not only not an answer as a starter, we know that Sean Laval can't hold up for right. 16 games. So I'm all for them trying to be creative at this spot. And it's not like they missed out. I don't think they missed out on some prized guard free agent. There was no Norwell there. I, I am expecting the Brandon Sheriff extension to come sooner rather than later. Um, I, I am that expecting that. That would be that. stunning if it didn't happen. If they if it didn't happen, it means that Sheriff doesn't want to do it, Tommy, because he wants to be an unrestricted free agent next year and leave. But remember, the Redskins can prevent that from happening by using the franchise tag next year on him. Yeah, they're so good at that. <laughs> but um, Using the franchise tag. On the Flowers thing, I have no problem with the move. And, and I want to m- mention this. I, you know, this was an offseason that I believe that the owner desired to make a splash. But it takes two for that to happen. You know, so far, their offseason is a trade for a journeyman quarterback who may come in and start or may not, a 34-year-old running back who may not have had a lot of other options, a splash signing, I mean, something totally unique for them over the last nine years in the first on the first day of free agency, of a safety who grew up dreaming of playing for this organization because of Sean Taylor, a corner who was retired in DRC, a bust of an early first-round pick in Eric Flowers who nobody wanted, and Brian Quick, who they, who they re-signed yesterday, who obviously has not had any options other than the Redskins for a while now. For a while now. Remember, too, and we just mentioned it, their coaches, Rob Ryan and Ray Horton out of retirement, and Tim Rattay, who's never coached in the NFL before. I don't think they're having a bad offseason. I don't. I, I, I think the owner is probably frustrated that there's not more to it so far. But the answer is Antonio Brown didn't want to be here. C.J. CJ Mosley wanted somewhere else. And I believe the Golden Tate was a target but wanted somewhere else as well. There should be a quarterback coming, another quarterback coming. But for now, what's left is they've got to add another quarterback, a wide receiver, a pass rusher, and O-line depth, and maybe another safety. And they may be in a position where they're going to have to try to do that completely through the draft and hope that some of their players like Paul Richardson come off injured reserve and are stars or are much better. I know they want a wide receiver and they feel desperate to get somebody who can get separation at the line of scrimmage for next year for whomever the quarterback is. But I'm not, I don't think they're having a terrible offseason at this point. They just aren't having the offseason I think the owner wanted well i mean but it takes two to tango they're having uh an irrelevant off season i mean in this how much how much ground have they gained on the teams in front of them the eagles and the cowboys none none so well 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 they may have gained ground on the giants by the giants the, doing I mean, the eagles by the giants doing yeah the, oh the they, teams they, they're in front way of them. behind the cowboys and the eagles yeah, so, in so, terms of, so they, of odds to win the so division basically they're treading water they're six and a half win team right yeah. now over under for 2019 so i mean i don't think that's a good off season is 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 is, is being uh staying in cement 
which is basically where they are right now. And as far as as far as uh, basically uh, like uh, like uh, flowers and offensive linemen, they've drafted a lot of offensive linemen over the years. Jerron Christian last year. They should have more depth. Yep. At offensive line mm-hmm. than they do now. But to have their to go depth out. keeps getting hurt too, Tommy. Yeah, I know that. But they should have more depth. I know. It, I mean, they've 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 missed on a lot of offensive linemen. I mean, you know, the Ravens are and and the Patriots are real good at this. The offensive linemen that you find in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds, they can't seem to do that. I um, they can draft the first round uh, offensive linemen. You know, Trent Williams, uh, Sheriff. Uh, but the fourth and fifth round guys, the third round guys, where you really find the offensive line depth, they've been terrible at it. But they've they've had injuries there too. Yeah, you know they just have. So you've ended up with guys like Bowanko and Catalina and others being forced to play. Tony Bergstrom being to- forced to play because you know depth got hurt too. Um, I have one other thought about the off season so far, and I don't have a full grasp. My Again, I'll just reiterate. I think Snyder wanted a splash. I think they've tried to make a splash. Antonio Brown, the combination of an Antonio Brown and a Landon Collins and a trade for Case Keenum would have been considered a true splash yes. offseason compared to their recent offseasons. But I think part of it is that, you know, again, it takes two to make a deal and there isn't a lot of interest in coming here. But there's just one other theory that I that I have on this, and that is that Bruce is listening to Dan. Hey, don't give me EJ Biggers again. Yeah. Don't don't please don't give me a, you know another Pernell McPhee Orlando Scandrick year. And Bruce is saying, "Don't worry, boss. We're going to try to make this happen." And what but what Bruce really wants is that the team he's been putting together himself here over the last few years that he thinks is so close. He wants to prove that that team is can win. You know that when Paul Richardson and Quentin Dunbar and Brandon Sheriff and Jordan Reed and Trey Quint and these guys come back, that it's his guys. You know, not the owner's splash off season. Told you, boss, just stay the course. We've been injured. It's been injuries. I've been doing the right things here. These are good players. We were six and three, remember, before Alex got hurt? And I think part of that is once again his arrogance of I'm going to prove to these motherfuckers that I've been doing it the right way. I've been doing it the right way. And these guys can play. You just have to see it. Wait till, wait till everybody licks my drawers over signing (laughs) Reuben Foster. Wait until that happens. When Reuben Foster turns into a star and nobody for, and everybody forgets about what happened and all the, the criticism we took, uh, I'm going to be proven right on that. I'm going to be proven right on Paul Richardson. I'm going to be pr- proven right on all these guys that you know that I've picked. And we had to add a quarterback because of Alex, and we had to add a safety because of DJ. So that's just part of me is thinking he doesn't want to make too much of a splash because it's almost an admission that what they've been doing the last couple of years didn't work. I could see that. I mean, it, I don't think it takes much to get in the mind of, of, of Bruce Allen. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, I don't think right. you have to drill very deep. <laughs> I, I agree with that. To, to, to figure out what Bruce, what motivates Bruce Allen. Uh, but there's there haven't been many opportunities 
left at this point for them to make a splash. Where would the only other place for them to make a splash is drafting a, a, a quarterback high or trading for Josh Rosen. It's the only splash left. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, unless they're going to trade for AJ Green or or a big name wide receiver, which you know the Stefan Diggs thing obviously was, I, I mean, got carried away uh, within the fan base. Um, it never made sense to begin with. Uh, to me, I don't know that AJ Green makes that much sense either. It depends on what Cincinnati's plans are, but um, I yeah, think you're yeah. right. I think that I think that the final splash for this off season. I would like – there's some players out there that I would like. Like, I would love for them to sign Shane Ray, but there might be something wrong with Shane Ray medically or otherwise because nobody, I don't think, has signed him at this point. But I, I would – I think that it's the quarterback at 15 or a trade up or, you know, a trade back, but it's a quarterback. Yeah. Listen, fans have accepted Case Keenum, the trade, because on the surface it's not a bad deal. No. They, it doesn't cost them much right. money. There's not much it's an risk. insurance policy. And and they are better with Case Keenum and Colt McCoy than with Colt McCoy and Josh Johnson. Right. Okay? But there's this underlying anxiety, I think, among fans that says, well, there's got to be more. I mean, I think if there's not more, in other words, a, a highly, a, a well-known drafted quarterback or a Josh Rosen trade, I think you'll see a fan base get all fired up in anger again about Case Keenum. I don't know if they're going to if they even have enough energy to get fired up That's or angry true. anymore. And as a still fan, I hope they don't just draft a quarterback for the purposes of trying to make a splash if they don't love that quarterback. And I'm starting to get this sense, Aaron, that Haskins you know, my my gut on Haskins all year long on the, on this podcast was I don't see it. Cooley did a film breakdown on it, said he has high bust potential. The Giants came out over the weekend, or there was a report that the Giants are not interested in Haskins now. And so what if Haskins ends up being the guy that drops big time and drops to 15? Like, if uh, personally, that's not the answer. For, I, I don't think he's the answer, quarterback, but it would be a splash. It, it's the answer to get people excited. You get the local boy, bring him home, and uh, put him up as quarterback. Let's not forget... And anything's possible when it comes to this organization. This is a kid who's friends with Dan Snyder's son. I know. Went to Bullis with him. So let's not forget that. I know. Uh, real quickly on Window Nation, and then we'll get to some college hoops talk. Um, Window Nation right now has a really good offer. Buy two windows, get two windows free. Buy a house of windows for just $69 a month. Uh, Harley, Aaron, Eric, I talk about these guys all the time. They have a great company. I have used Window Nation twice over the last 10 years. It's worked for me and many people I know. Uh, I would ask that you give them a shot if you've been thinking about new windows, and there is a no-risk way to give them a shot. If you just call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and ask for a free in-home estimate, you'll get it. No cost, and whatever they quote you, that price will be valid for 60 days. So there's no risk in doing it. If you're thinking that you need new windows, like you've got over the winter, you notice that it was a little bit colder, that you've got some drafty windows, remember, too, you're losing money on higher energy bills. Call Window Nation, 866-90-NATION. Go to windownation.com. Tell them I told you to call. They'll come out. They'll give you a free in-home estimate with a price that will be valid 
for 60 days. Remember, the offer, buy two windows, get two window free, two windows free. There's no limit on that. If you need 40 windows, you'll get four, you know, you'll buy 20 and you'll get 20 for free. And when they come out and do the estimate, they're going to go room by room. They're not going to be disruptive and they will tell you if you actually need the windows or not. And you can buy a house of windows right now for just 69 a month. Remember, Window Nation has installed over 475,000 windows over the years in over 85,000 homes. You're not going to be the first. Um, They've got over 10,000 positive online reviews. They're the fifth largest window retailer in the the United States, and they've got a 97% customer satisfaction rating. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com and tell them I told you to call. All right, I uh, wanted to do some stuff. I, we're going to get to the trout news, the trout contract, and, and get Tommy's thoughts on that. Uh, didn't take long uh, for old Bryce to be one-upped. Um, he had the record for 18 days. We're going to get to that uh, in a moment. But uh, the tournament starts tonight. The first four begins tonight. we got two games tonight, two games tomorrow night. Personally, I don't feel like the tournament starts until Thursday. But, um, but you have but, to admit, Belmont Temple's a good game. So, well, it's an important game for us I because know, the winner a, plays Maryland. But it's a good game. It also features um, one of my favorite coaches over yeah. the years, Fran Dunphy. Absolutely. I'm just, I've just always been, I think you know this, I've always been a huge fan so of his teams. Um, and yesterday on the podcast, uh, we had um, – we had Naki on, and Naki doesn't think that Dunphy's going to retire and thinks that Dunphy could end up at GW. But now there's a report that JT3 mm-hmm. could get GW's job. Now, well, I've I also know. heard JT3 is a hot candidate for the William & Mary job, too. Also, uh, don't forget there's uh, a Hall of Fame coach that, that lives in the market and would be a hell of a coach anywhere. I don't know if Gary would ever do it. And also, and I'll, I've mentioned this many times before, Tim Legler would be a great college basketball coach. Um, one quick stat on the first four. Aaron mentioned this yesterday, but I don't know if you went through every year. I went through every year last night. At least one first four winner of the two, you know, not the 16s versus 16s. Right. I'm not. I'm not the counting the play-in that. games. Uh, the, the two true, you know, at-large the play-in at-large teams, play-in. Oh, okay. um, play-in games. At least one of those two games has produced a winner that went on to win in the next round. And you know who the first one was? The first year of doing this was 2011. It was that VCU team yeah. that beat Georgetown. They won the first four game, and then they beat Georgetown the next game in the first round of the tournament. Right. Um, but it's happened every single year. At least one. Uh, team of the two that will win t- tonight and tomorrow night. Okay, so Belmont versus Temple, and then tomorrow night, Arizona State, St. John's. You'll have two winners out of those two games. One of those two winners is going to win in the next round based on history. So Maryland better be careful. Uh, Tennessee in 2014 as a first four winner won two games after the first four win. They beat UMass and then Mercer in the second round to advance to the Sweet 16. Uh, that particular year. So tonight the tournament gets underway with um, with uh, the 16 versus 16. I don't even know what the 16 versus 16 matchup is tonight. I don't really care. And it's then, uh, Farley Dickinson and Prairie View A&M. Okay, and then uh, we get Belmont and Temple um, with the winner going on to face Maryland. Uh, 
Before we get to the brackets, I've got a couple of things, and I want to go through this with both of you, um, and then we'll, we'll go into our brackets and pick the regions. First of all, one quick add-on to what was a very, very long conversation yesterday about the tournament. I know it got very long yesterday. Um, you know what? Nobody actually complained about it, but I felt like it was too long yesterday after the fact. Uh, the committee, Tommy, the committee for the most part this year, is getting pretty rave reviews for the teams that got in versus the teams that didn't. Not from Debbie Yao. Not from Debbie Yao. Not from, <laughs> I, we talked about that yesterday. Um, but I think I had a couple of small quibbles. Actually, one big quibble, really, and that is uh, Kansas should not be able to play a home game as a four seed against a one seed in North Carolina in the Sweet 16 if they get there. It just shouldn't happen. But I think what the committee needs, because they're so into it, they need... They need a fixer at the end. They need the wolf. They need the wolf to and come in. And of course, in. you're willing to do that. They need the wolf to come in on that Sunday morning just to look at what they've got laid out and say, uh, you know what? You can't have Kansas playing in the Sweet 16, a home game, right? Oh, yeah, good good point. We'll switch some points. Well, what about around. Duke and Michigan State meeting can't before, have, the sweet, before how, the Final Four? Uh, how is Michigan State? First of all, how are they a two seed? Shouldn't they be a one seed? And if they are a two seed, aren't they the top two seed or at least top two? Yeah, that's where we have them. Well, they they shouldn't be in the same region with the number one overall in the tournament. No. Um, uh, you know, Aaron said this earlier before the show, and he's a hundred percent right. This doesn't address whether or not Duke would be a better matchup for Michigan State than Gonzaga, which, by the way, might be true. Like Michigan State actually, they might match up better with Duke yes. than they would with Gonzaga. The point is, is that they shouldn't be playing the number one overall in the Elite Eight. No. Michigan is the worst of the two seeds, should have been in the region with Duke. On um, the other hand, you get to see some pretty good basketball here in D.C. next weekend. I just hope Maryland's <laughs> it would be It would be so much better if Maryland were in it. It would be incredible. Um, and, and the last thing, too, is this Louisville-Minnesota thing. I, I didn't have this thought on the podcast yesterday, but I was listening to Billis in, you know, all, you know, Greenberg. Oh, God, they were on for hours upon hours last night. They do a lot of, of tournament discussion. It's good, too. Um, but they all mentioned that it's just, it's un, it, it doesn't make any sense for a sport that's had a lot of bad publicity over the last couple of years, the FBI, the, you know, all the things that are going on, to have Rick Patino's former school playing his son's school and in bring the whole thing back to the forefront because a lot of people are talking about this matchup, which happens to be the first matchup on Thursday. It's the 12-10 game, so it'll be over quickly. But I, that's the Wolf would have come in and just said, no, nah, you don't want this because it's going to, you'll have too much negative attention yeah. and the Patino thing will be brought back up, the Louisville thing, the scandals, this and that. And, and, that's a good point. And so they, 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 they could use a fixer here at the end, but for, for the most part, I'm fine with it. Um, go ahead. No. Okay. Here's, here's the, let's uh, get going. Here's the exercise I want to go through before we get to this. So, I, I this is totally a ripoff, not specifically the way it's the way I came up with it, but a ripoff of all of the people that will will do these segments that start with sixty eight and they get you down to like here are the three teams that can win it. And I was thinking about it from that perspective before I started to fill out my bracket. Have yesterday. you trademarked this system? No, yet? and I'm not going to. Okay, but I, I came up with what would what's important to me usually when I look at this tournament, 
and what I think teams have to have to win the tournament. And I always think about, first of all, the thing that Gary Williams told me, I don't know, 10 years, 12 years ago, he's longer than that. He said, you, to win six in a row, you got to be able to score. You have to be able to score. You can be a really good defensive team and win two or win three, but you can't win six if you can't score. So one of the criteria in trying to eliminate 68 down to whatever it was is I'm looking for teams that can score. And for me, I I just came up somewhat arbitrary, but I know that these teams are good scoring teams. I came up with you got to be a top 15% scoring team. In out of 353 in the sport. All right. Why did I come up with that? Because 13 of the last 15 champions have finished in the top 15% of scoring teams. Second criteria for me you've got to be able to score efficiently. Okay. You can't be a poorly coached, disorganized team that scores but doesn't score efficiently. And therefore, by the way, you're giving up too many easy ones on the other end. And this is going to drive you nuts, but it is a fact what I'm going to state. The Ken Palm adjusted offensive efficiency number, which is points scored per 100 possessions adjusted for the opponent, 14 of the last 17 champions have finished in the top 10 of that stat since he started keeping it in 2002, which was Maryland's championship year. Maryland was one of those teams that did finish. They did finish in the top 10. So I'm looking for a top 10 offensive efficiency team in Ken Palm, all right, adjusted offensive efficiency team. Then I'm looking for good guard play. That's always been important. I I think you got to have good guards to win the national championship. Um, This college basketball is a guards game. I looked at... uh, trying to find teams where two of their top three scorers were guards or perimeter players. Six of the last seven champions have had their guards as their significant scorers. That's why I came up with that. But of my gut, I took my gut and then I tried to back the numbers into it, right? I, teams that can score, teams with good guards, teams that score efficiently, and then I went back and looked to see if it actually fit with enough of the champions over the years, and it did. And then my last criteria was you got to be well coached. You don't have to have a great coach, but if you have a bad coach, you're not going to win the title. Yeah. You remember Guy Lewis and all those Houston teams? Oh, yeah. He was a terrible yeah. X's and O's coach. And they they got they got there. They got to Final Fours. They got to two championship games. But then he got completely outwitted in the finals or in the Final Four. Um, th- this is a purely subjective criteria because it's based on my opinion but I just think you've got to have a good coach you don't have to have a hall of fame coach you have to have a good coach he can't suck for you to win so here we go follow through follow follow along first criteria you got to be able to score top 15 per scoring teams of the 68 teams in the field 22 of them finished in the top 15% scoring teams. All right, Gonzaga, Belmont, Carolina, Buffalo, Duke, Tennessee, Murray State, Watford, LSU, Yale, Nevada, Utah State, Auburn, Michigan State, Iowa, Arizona State, Northern Kentucky, New Mexico State, Marquette, St. John's, Mississippi State, and Iowa State. Maryland was not there. Maryland wasn't even close. Um, uh, But 22 of the 68 teams fit that criteria, so I just eliminated 46 of the teams. Okay. All right? By the way, Virginia's not in there either. I didn't think they were. I know. You have to be able to score efficiently, all right? So top 10 Ken Palm number. Uh, Taking from that list, 
uh, Gonzaga, Tennessee, Michigan State, Duke, Carolina, Auburn, LSU, and Iowa State. So we just went from 22 teams down to eight teams that can win it all. All right? You following along? Yeah, I'm with you. Aaron, are you following along? I got you so far. All right. You got to have good guard play. All right, two two of your team's top three scorers have to be guards or perimeter-oriented players. That list now gets down to six teams. North Carolina with Kobe White and Cam Johnson. Tennessee with Admiral Schofield and Jordan Bone. LSU with Waters, Mays, and Smart. All right? Uh, and Auburn with Brown and Harper, great backcourt. Michigan State with Winston. And McQuaid is a perimeter scorer. Even though I don't really view McQuaid as a true... You know, guard, he is an off guard. You know, can't handle it great, but shoot it well. Iowa State's got Wigginton, Horton Tucker, and Shayok, who's more of a perimeter player. So that takes that list of eight teams down to six teams, all right, that can win it all. And then the subjective piece, you got to have a good coach. Uh, In my opinion, five of those six teams have good coaching situations. Uh, Roy Williams is, I don't think Roy, Roy Roy Williams is a Hall of Fame coach, obviously based on results. I've never felt like Roy's a genius on the sideline, but he's a good coach. All right. Rick Barnes, I'm a big Rick Barnes he's fan. He's a very good coach. I, I He's never gotten through in the tournament. He's, he's had, you know, some losses that, but I just think Barnes is a good coach. I think Bruce Pearl can coach at Auburn. Izzo can definitely coach. And Steve Prome, who most of you don't know at Iowa State, continues to do nothing but win and beat teams often that you don't think he can win uh, or beat. So I just went down to Iowa State, North Carolina, Michigan State, Auburn, and Tennessee. I eliminated LSU from that list well, because, because they're they coach, don't have their head coach. Right, they don't have their head coach. So I'm down to the five teams. All right, So the five teams that I think can win it will come from this list. <laughs> My bracket winner is not on this list, and I'll explain why when we get to the brackets. Stupid, I know, but I just have a, I have a gut feel about another team that's not on this list. But for the purposes of this exercise, North Carolina, Tennessee, Auburn, Michigan State, Iowa State. That's your list of teams that would fit some of these key criteria that have also related to champions over the years. This is such a flawed formula. In a lot of ways, yeah. Oh my god. Well, it's very it's very subjective. It's very it I mean the numbers aren't necessarily subjective, d- d- but the criteria and- that I designed was somewhat subjective, but it's got there's a basis for it. Did did you go back and see how often the formula would have hit in the past? This formula? Yeah, yeah. it's like it's like 14 out of the last 17 champions. That's what I'm saying. All right. But it doesn't come close to at least two teams that are probably going to be in the Final Four this year. I Well, th- how do you, oh, do you know that for sure? Because we should leave right now <laughs> and take <laughs> all go, the cash we West have. <laughs> I'm sorry, which two teams are you absolutely sure will be in the Final Four? Well, one is Duke. Yep. Okay. The other I'm not so sure of would be Virginia. But I'm not as sure of them as I am as Duke. Just so you know, Duke uh, in this process was eliminated because two of their three top scorers are not guards. Right. Yeah, even though I think Trey Jones is a phenomenal player. Yeah, but one, but of, by their, the way, one, my, my, one of their top scorers is the best basketball player in the world. That's true. And <laughs> and just so you know, my gut feel before I went through all of this is that Duke is not going to win the title. 
That's my gut feel. Watching them over the, the year, with or without uh, Zion Williamson, my gut feel is that they're not going to win the title, that somebody will beat them along the way. And I'll have that in my bracket here shortly. Well, that, I'll be real but, curious to see But who, who's the other one that you're absolutely sure will be in the final Well, I four? didn't say. Now I'm, I'm kind of hedging <laughs> off that on Virginia. Okay, well, that, Virginia I like a lot. And I, I knew Virginia because of the scoring. Um, the, the average scoring wasn't going to be they, – they fit every single criteria here except they were not a top 15% scoring team. So anyway. Uh, that was fun. Something to think about. All right, let's go to our brackets. That was fun. Let's Can we do crossword puzzles next? <laughs> let's do our brackets here. Um, and our brackets are brought to you by Window Nation. All right, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. Now, let me just preface this, that uh, of the three guys who were doing the brackets here, I have the least knowledge of college which basketball. Makes, which is why you'll probably win Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I just want to make that clear, and I, I readily acknowledge it. Well, I, I don't I, – look, I, I'm not giving up my knowledge of basketball. I'm just saying I don't follow college basketball nearly as much – as the two gentlemen I'm on here with. You know what, though, Tommy? Seriously, the funny thing about this tournament, it's one and done, all right? It's played in an environment early in the tournament that is unlike any other environment they play in during the regular season. Sterile, benign, not a lot of energy. It's all, Matchups are, are everything. It's No one ever has a handle well, on this I know. This you thing. always have the story of the office secretary yeah. who never, played bad, never watched a game in her life winning one of these pools. I don't think I'm, – I'm trying to think. At the, the, you know, all the years we did the 980 pool, the funny thing is the thing that I won three times, two or three times anyway, the Fantasy Football League, which I couldn't have cared less about, <laughs> um, I, I won th- those things. And then this pool where I supposedly had – more knowledge than you. I bet your pools were more uh, were, were more productive than mine. All right, let's start with the East region. All right, and pick. Let's go down in in those in the first round games. Give me your upsets, Aaron. Uh, I have two seed up, or actually, I guess three if you read Cloud. I have UCF over VCU. Okay, that's a coin flip game, but I just want to see Taco fall against uh, Duke. Uh, I have Minnesota over Louisville. And I have Yale over LSU. You got Yale over LSU. Yes. Okay. Um, Tommy, what about you in the in the East first round? Okay, I am in the East first round. I have Temple beating Maryland. Okay, Temple over Maryland. Right. Will, will you change that if Belmont wins tonight? Uh, no, I have Belmont beating Maryland too. Okay. Okay. Uh, I have Yale beating LSU. Wow, that's a get Fran Dunphy to the Sweet 16, but it can't happen at the expense of my team. And I have Murray State over Marquette. That's uh, that's a different region, Tom. Oh, okay. Yeah, stick with us. We're in the East here. Okay, so I just gave you my two. <laughs> okay, good. Um, my... Yale and and Belmont Temple. I'm sorry. Yale and Belmont slash Temple. All right. My um, upsets here in the East region first round, uh, I have just one. I like Minnesota over Louisville. I think Aaron and I both watch so much Minnesota this year, and we know that they've got two players in Amir Coffey and Jordan Murphy who are probably future pros. Um, And Louisville tends to be a turnover machine. By the way, just a general thought as we're going through this, I think the Big Ten is going to do well in this tournament, at least in the first few rounds, and I think the Big East is going to do better than most people think. Oh, All right. there's another one, too. Uh, Central Florida over VCU. 
you've got, okay, it's a nine. All right, let's stick in the East, okay, and go to the next round. Um, who do you have, uh, Aaron, advancing into the Sweet 16? I have uh, Duke, Virginia Tech, I have Maryland over Yale, and I have Michigan State. Maryland, Michigan State. Okay, that would be exciting. Tommy, your Sweet 16 in the East is, go D- ahead. Duke, Virginia Tech, Temple, Michigan State. Temple. So you have a true sleeper yes. into the Sweet 16. Uh, my Sweet 16, I've got Duke beating VCU, Mississippi State beating Virginia Tech. Um, I actually think that Mississippi State, really good guard play, good rebounding team. They can score. Virginia Tech also has this thing that Aaron made me aware of yesterday that um, somebody told me that Jimmy Patsos mentioned last night on a sh- on their podcast that they did at Chatter that Buzz Williams is leaving Virginia Tech, and everybody knows it. He's heading yes. to Texas Tech, I think. Texas A&M. A&M. Texas A&M. So that may be a bit of a distraction. Um, I've got Duke-Mississippi State in one Sweet 16 game at Capital One Arena, and in the other, I do have Maryland beating LSU, and I've got Michigan State beating Minnesota, and that would be the Sweet 16 matchup there. All right, Aaron, give me your... Sweet, uh, your elite eight in the East: Duke, Virginia Tech, Duke, Michigan State. Okay, you got Duke, Michigan State. So you have Michigan State beating Maryland. Yes. Tommy, Duke, Virginia Tech. Who advances? Uh, Duke. I have Duke and Michigan State. And you've got Duke and Michigan State. And in my Sweet Sixteen, I have Duke beating Mississippi State to get to the Elite Eight, and I have Michigan State beating Maryland. <laughs> And that would be so painful because we'll all be there if it's played here, yeah. and Maryland will have a home court advantage in that game. But this, for whatever reason, Michigan State just has not been a good matchup for Maryland here over the years. So I've got Duke and Michigan State in the Elite Eight as well. Aaron, your East uh, Final Four team is? Duke is heading to the Final Four. Tommy? Duke for me too. I have Michigan State. That's where I've got Duke going out. I've got Duke going out to Michigan State. You know, Izzo has had, is it two or three straight years of trouble in the NCAA tournament? I think it's three now. I think this is a redemption year for Michigan State. And, man, they've been hurt. I mean, they don't have Langford, um, but they've got got the big guy back. I just think this is – Izzo, to me, is just flat out a top-five coach. Nobody – very few compare to him. They play an exciting style of basketball in that they want to run. They take it out of the net and they push it. And at the same time, they're incredibly physical as a rebounding and yeah. a defensive team. They've got a great point guard, Cassius Winston, who's so much better than I thought he would be early in the year. Um, I just think Michigan State that this is an Izzo kind of year to get to a Final Four again after three rough years. All right, let's go now to the West region. All right, uh, we've got two Dukes and a Michigan State out of the East. In the West region, uh, Aaron, give me your upsets in the first round. Uh, A lower-seeded team beating a higher-seeded team. I have Baylor beating Syracuse in the 8-9. Okay. And I have Murray State beating Marquette in the 5-12. All right, Tommy? Uh, I have one, the same one as Aaron, Murray State beating Marquette. Hold on, we're not. Oh, you've got Murray State upsetting, and that, that's the only one you it's have. The only upset I have. In, okay, in, in I have West. I have a couple um, in the West in the first round. Uh, I have St. John's beating Arizona State, and then with Shamori Ponds upsetting Buffalo to get to the second round. So that's my first four winner that advances. 
Um, and then I've got Florida beating Nevada. Um, Florida's been a good team to bet here recently, <laughs> and I think plus two uh, in their first round game against a Nevada team that actually just has been off a little bit here recently. I, Florida, Mike White's a good coach, and they've got good young talent. And I think they went through, you know, I think they went through the gauntlet there in the SEC. I think they they beat Nevada and advanced to the second round. So those are my two upsets in the first round in the West region. St. John's winning two games, winning tomorrow night against Arizona State and beating Buffalo, and then Florida beating Nevada. All right, next round in the West, Aaron, your Sweet 16 teams. I have Gonzaga, Florida State, Texas Tech, and I'm not confident about this one, but something about it feels right to me. I have Nevada over Michigan. Nevada over Michigan. Okay, so you've got a a seven advancing yeah, to I, the Sweet 16. I, the talent's there. You're right. They have been off a lot of the season, but the talent's there, and there's always that one team that underperforms during the regular season. I think it could be Nevada this All year. All right, Tommy? I've got Syracuse, Florida State, wow, Texas Tech, and Michigan. Um, so what's interesting about the Syracuse pick is that I would give them a chance against Gonzaga. I, I think that that's not a, a crazy pick at all. You know, it's it's the cliche. They're only going to have a couple of days to prepare for the zone, et cetera. It's also just... But it's a cliche that that's a reality. Yes. No, no <laughs> I, I know, but everybody... That's true. So it's not necessary. It can be cliche and true. Yes. So it's, um, it's one of those things that everybody's saying. You know, yeah. Syracuse's zone... Gonzaga faced a team in St. Mary's that really slowed the pace in that in that West Coast uh, championship game. Great coach and Randy Bennett. Um, so I could see that happening. I don't have that. Uh, I've got Gonzaga advancing to the Sweet 16. I have Marquette beating Florida State uh, and advancing to the Sweet 16. Marquette just has so mon- so many ways to score. And Florida State made that run to the Elite Eight last year with Leonard Hamilton, and I love watching their team because they're always a unique team talent-wise. Long and and tall and lanky and defensive. He's a good defensive coach, but they also lose at this point in the tournament and have, you know, before. Um, Marquette comes through there and is into the Sweet 16, and then I've got Texas Tech and Michigan advancing. By the way, I did want to mention, I do think Vermont is dangerous for Florida State. Yes. In that first round game, I think Florida I really State will get through, one. but I, I, I would not be surprised if Vermont a plus ten is a smell test pick uh, on um, Thursday or Friday. I don't even know when they play. All right, so Aaron, you're down to your Sweet Sixteen: Gonzaga against Florida State, Texas Tech, Nevada. Who advances to the Elite Eight? Uh, Gonzaga and Texas Tech. All right, and Tommy, your Elite Eight game in the West is FSU and Texas Tech. All right, and mine is Gonzaga and a very – I think Marquette can beat Gonzaga too. Gonzaga and Michigan in my Elite Eight out west. Uh, Aaron, your final four team out of the west. Gonzaga. You love them. I do they, love them. They are good. Tommy? FSU. FSU. And mine is Michigan. I just love how they defend. I love how well coached they are. I think he figures it out in every game. Uh, so on one side of the bracket, I've got Michigan State playing Michigan. Aaron's got Duke against Gonzaga, and Tommy's got Duke against Florida State. All right, let's go to the South region. And before we do that, let me just mention launch workplaces. 
uh, in Bethesda. If you are looking for office space and you live in Bethesda, Upper Northwest D.C., you know, even in Chevy Chase or over the bridge in Northern Virginia, consider Launch Workplaces uh, and you can find out all the information at launchworkplaces.com. But their their facility in Bethesda is brand new. Uh, they've got fully furnished offices and conference rooms and co-working desks and high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, a cafe, free parking, and 24-7 access. You can get more work done today by moving your office to Launch Workplaces. Call today for an exclusive free two-day trial. Call 240-867-14 or visit launchworkplaces.com today. That's 240-867-14, 240-800-6714 or launchworkplaces.com. They've got locations throughout the area. You can find them at launchworkplaces.com. All right, let's go to the South. Aaron, your upsets in the South first round. I have... UC Irvine as a 13 over Kansas State. That's a very chic pick right now for an upset in the first round. Who else? And I have St. Mary's over Villanova. All right, St. Mary's, another one that I could see happening. Tommy, your first run upsets in the South. You know, I'm I'm a chic kind of guy. I know you are. So I'm going to go with Aaron and say UC Irvine as my only upset in in the South. In the South, that's your only upset. Um, I have Oklahoma beating Ole Miss, Lon Kruger, uh, over who's the coach at Ole Miss? That guy Smart, I think it is. Yeah, um, I I like Lon Kruger a lot. I'll take Lon Kruger. Oklahoma has not been playing well recently either, um, which they're going to be another smell test pick. I can feel it. Plus two, Oklahoma. Know, as, it's, it's Kermit Davis at Ole Miss. That's right, Davis. Yes. Davis. Um, and I like Iowa over Cincinnati. Why? Because no one is picking Iowa <laughs> in this game. And we've watched Iowa. We know that they are capable of playing really well. They're also capable of stinking um, in a game. But really, most of their stinkos down the stretch were without McCaffrey on the bench when he got suspended for those games. So I like Iowa in an upset over a Cincinnati team that really, really can have scoring droughts and struggle to score. All right, Aaron, in, in out west, who do you have in the Sweet 16? You mean the South? I mean in the South. I'm sorry. Yes. Who do you have in the Sweet 16? I have Virginia, Wisconsin, St. Mary's, and Tennessee. St. Mary's and Tennessee. All right, yep. so you've got two just, uh, teams not projected to get there, Wisconsin and St. Mary's. Correct. Uh, why do you like St. Mary's? It, I like St. Mary's, a uh, you know good veteran guard play kind of going into that. And just something – I don't like Purdue that much. It's less, I think, about St. Mary's and more about Purdue. I think Purdue is very vulnerable as a three seed. And I think either – whether it's St. Mary's or Villanova, either of those teams can beat Purdue. That pod with Jay Wright, Randy Bennett, Matt Painter, and Jeff Jones, man. That's some co- high yeah. IQ college basketball coaching in one uh, pod. Uh, all right, Tommy, who comes out in, into the Sweet 16 for you? I've got Virginia – UC Irvine, Villanova, Tennessee. Why do you like UC Irvine? They they have a lot of letters in their names. <laughs> <laughs> um, I and they, and they they were one of the few teams that won thirty games this year. I think that counts for something. It, so in that first game against K State, people really like Irvine. I didn't see Irvine once. Bet on them a couple times or against them a couple times and lost. K-State's really a good basketball team, but they're injured right now. Yes. Uh, yes. They, you know, Wade and even Bowen potentially out. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people are picking Irvine. I actually like K-State to win the game. Uh, K-State's a four-and-a-half-point favorite. No one's playing them. No, no. one is. 
Uh, I've got Virginia in Wisconsin. I agree with Aaron. I think Wisconsin will beat Kansas State or Irvine. Uh, I've got him beating Kansas State. Uh, and then Purdue, Tennessee. I think Purdue's got too much for Villanova coming out of that uh, that pod. Um, and the Wisconsin-Virginia game's already been played this year. It was 53-46 to 46 or 48, did yeah. we see yesterday? Yep. That would be another 55-52 kind of a game. But I've, I've got Virginia advancing there. And then I've got Tennessee over Purdue, although I'd love to see that game uh, as well into the Elite Eight. Aaron, you've got... Uh, UVA and UVA over Wisconsin and then Tennessee over St. Mary's. All right, so you got a U, uh, UVA, Tennessee, and then who makes it to the Final Four? I have Tennessee beating UVA in the Elite Eight. Okay, Tommy, who's your Elite Eight game in the South? Uh, Virginia and Tennessee. No, UC Irvine doesn't beat Virginia? No, no, no. They've right. run out of letters. All right, and then who in the uh, Final Four? Virginia. All right, I have also Virginia and Tennessee in the Elite Eight, and I, too, have Virginia advancing to the Final Four. I picked Virginia to win the bracket last year. How'd that work out? Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's finish up in the Midwest. Um, and, Aaron, give me your upsets in the Midwest. Uh, I just have one in the first round. I have New Mexico State over Auburn. Okay, Tommy? I just have one. I have Washington over Utah State. Okay. I, I, I'm going to convince you to, to to change that pick. Washington might be the worst team I've ever seen uh-huh. qualify for the tournament from a major conference. They are awful. If they beat Utah State. What uh, will you do? Well, I don't know. Well, we I do. probably won't do anything because it might happen. But um, Utah State is a, a much better basketball team. I'd be shocked. I'm actually shocked that they're only a two-and-a-half-point favorite uh, in that game. Uh, in the West, I have two upsets in the first round. I have Northeastern over Kansas. Um, Northeastern can play. Um, and Kansas, something's wrong there. And I have Seton Hall over Wofford. I just like the Big East and what I saw from over the weekend. I think you know Wofford's a three-point favorite, too. I may change my mind on that one, but that's what I have right now. I mean, I may end up betting Wofford <laughs> by the time we get there. But Seton Hall, I've got advancing um, in that game. And I give no shot in, that, in the first round to Ohio State, and I give no shot to Washington in winning those, those first-round games. I think I feel str- mo- more strongly about those two you know, mid-seeding matchups more than any other. Washington is god-awful, and Ohio State's really not very good either. So so now everybody out there listening is saying, God, I hope Washington wins. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> well, people that like you. People that don't like you are probably hoping you're wrong. <laughs> no, I think pretty much everybody right now is rooting for Washington. All right, Aaron, who, who's your sweet 16 in the uh, Midwest region? All right, I have UNC, yep. Kansas. Yep. Been going back and forth on this one. I think I'm actually going to lead uh, Iowa State yep. and Kentucky. Okay, Tommy? I have North Carolina, Auburn, Houston, and Kentucky. I have in the Sweet 16 in the Midwest region, I've got Carolina, I've got Auburn, I've got Iowa State beating Houston. That That is a great second-round game. Two yeah. really good college basketball I, I, teams. I've crossed that one out three times already. And I've got Kentucky, too, but I could see Seton Hall pushing them. Did they play this year? Were you, I think did, did Seton Hall play Kentucky this year? They may have played this year. Why am I thinking that Seton Hall played Kentucky this year? 
Uh, I do not see a game between Seton Maybe Hall. Maybe they and played Kentucky. last year. Oh wait, yes, they did. They Actually, did play. Uh, Seton Hall beat Kentucky in overtime. There you go. I knew that they had played this year, <laughs> or I had a sense that they had played, and Seton Hall won that game. I've got Kentucky winning, but I think it could be a, a good game. So I, like Aaron, have. Um, oh no! Well, we might have the same elite eight. Who's your elite eight, Aaron? I have UNC and Kentucky. You have UNC winning a road game against Kansas. I, I thought about that one long and hard, and I'm going with it. All right, Tommy, you're Elite Eight in the Midwest region. I have uh, North Carolina uh-huh. and Houston. And Houston, all right. Uh, my Elite Eight is North Carolina, and I have Iowa State beating Kentucky in that Elite Eight game. Uh, I have Carolina advancing to the Final Four. Aaron, you? Kentucky. Kentucky to the Final Four, Tommy. I have North Carolina. All right. So, Aaron's final four is Duke playing Gonzaga, Tennessee playing Kentucky. Tommy's final four is Duke playing Florida State, Virginia playing North Carolina, which would make for a first ever, and I used to pick my bracket this way when I was an (laughs) ACC guy, four ACC teams in the final four. It's never happened. We've had three Big East teams in the final four. I want to say that we've had three... Just three Big East teams, right? The, the, the year that, that Villanova beat Georgetown, it was Villanova, Georgetown, St. John's, and Memphis that year. I think it was Memphis was the fourth team. Have we had three from a conference before? We've had many. I think ACC, the ACC's had two in the Final Four more times than any other league. Yeah. But I don't think we've had another league have three. I know we've never had four from the same league. I, I'm so. pretty sure it's just that three. Um, Tommy's got four ACC teams. And then my final four is Michigan State, Michigan, Virginia, North Carolina. So an all-Big Ten ACC final four. Aaron, your championship game. My championship game, Gonzaga facing Kentucky. And your champion. Gonzaga. All right. Wow. Tommy, your championship game. Duke versus North Carolina. Uh Uh-huh. Duke. And you got Duke beating Carolina. If Duke plays North Carolina in the championship game, that will probably be the highest rated in recent times, you know, since the right. fragmentation of, you know, with cable and the whole thing, it'll be the highest rated championship game in 20 something years. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think the all time, I, I think anything, the all timer was, was magic against bird. I think that's still to this day, the highest rated college basketball game of all time. I think was, anything with Duke in different. the finals would probably break. That's records. probably true. Um, I have Michigan state beating Michigan for what would be a fourth time. All right. Four times played four times one. And in those games, by the way, Michigan's Michigan's led at halftime, I think, in two of the three. Um, But I've got Michigan State playing Virginia in the final. Virginia's already beaten North Carolina once in Chapel Hill. I am a believer that in my my formula, I'm a believer in the formula, but I'm also a believer in Virginia slowing down fast teams better than anybody's ever done it. And that's why my formula didn't hold up until the final. And I've got Virginia beating Michigan State really? in the final to go from a team that lost for the first time ever to a 16 seed last year to national champions in 2019. I actually, on some level, would be rooting for Virginia. So it doesn't. That'd th- be a good story. It doesn't bother you anymore. I mean, because. Look at when Merrill uh, isn't Virginia an old ACC rival, and don't don't you have a resentment? Come on, for are Virginia. You, are you forgetting what you used to rip me for all the time? 
in the as an ACC member and as an ACC charter member and lifelong ACC fan and alum, what I used to do once we got to the tournament, I rooted for the other ACC teams. Right, because you fi- you figured it helped the conference. It helped. It, it helped the conference. Yeah, not that the conference needed any help, but I, what you came up with in your final four, I think in brackets in the past, <laughs> I filled out that four ACC teams probably thirty times <laughs> over the last until recently, and now I've got a little bit of Big Ten and a little bit of ACC. So I've got Virginia, uh, Tommy's got Duke, and Aaron's got Gonzaga winning the tournament. Um, and there you go. That is. Those are our brackets. What are we going to do? We're going to post them on the website, thekevinsheehanshow.com. Yeah. Somehow we'll, we'll, we'll get those up on, on the website by the end of the day, and you guys can follow along on that. Uh, all right, real quick word about Scentbird. Scentbird is a luxury fragrance subscription service, Tommy, something that you said you were going to try. Uh, yes, my wife absolutely. and I tried it. It was very, very helpful. It's a way to discover new colognes or perfumes without having to buy an entire bottle. That's important because good colognes and perfumes are really expensive. A lot of you, it's true, a lot of you really don't know what to buy or what you're even wearing at this point. If you're wearing something, it may have been a gift from a girlfriend or a wife a few years ago and you just kept wearing it. Um, well, what Scentbird does is give, it gives you the opportunity to pick out something that fits you in a low-cost environment. If you want to smell great, picking out the right scent can take time, and Scentbird makes it easy. They've got more than 450 designer brands for you to choose from each month. Gucci, Tom Ford, Kenneth Cole, Burberry, Prada, and a lot more. You choose the cologne you want to try. They'll send you a 30-day supply and it's inexpensive. I'll get to that in a moment. You can also take a quiz to find out the kind of fragrance, the kind of cologne, or in your girlfriend or wife's case, the kind of uh, perfume that actually fits your taste. Scentbird's got a quiz. It helps you develop a personalized recommendation. Here's the offer right now. You get 50% off your first month today if you take advantage of the offer that I'm going to read out here in a moment. It's only $7.50 for your first fragrance. You go to scentbird.com slash KSDC. Use my code KSDC for 50% off your first month. That's scentbird, S-C-E-N-T bird.com slash KSDC to try your first cologne or perfume for just $7.50. Sign on, smell amazing. All right, there are other things we wanted to get to today, including uh, the trout uh, news from this morning. Um, Two-time AL MVP Mike Trout uh, is closing in on a deal, Tommy, to stay with the Angels. It would be a contract extension that would be the largest contract in professional sports history. 12 years, $430 million. Poor Bryce Harper didn't take long uh, for Bryce Harper's record-setting contract uh, a week and a half ago to get topped. I didn't, you didn't see this coming this soon. No. No, I didn't. Uh, and the reaction to it just illustrates what I wrote after Harper signed with Philly. Now national fans will find out that the next best thing to rooting for Bryce Harper is rooting against Bryce Harper because he is among the most disliked athletes in all of baseball. 
and the reaction to Mike Trout one upping him so quickly with this contract and and basically ridiculing a guy who just made three hundred and thirty million dollars in Bryce Harper is illustrative of that. That people I mean, Mike Trout is considered a likable star. Bryce Harper is not. He's a bigger star. Doesn't it even go further that further than that in that Trout was expected to hit free agency, potentially end up in his hometown of Philadelphia, yes. but he stayed yeah. with the team that has had him since yeah. since coming out. And, and and didn't didn't even bother to go through right. the whole free agency thing. Now was the Nat, now the Nats didn't offer Bryce Harper a 12-year $430 no, million dollar deal either. No they didn't. But again, the, the offer that the Nats made was not nearly as distant uh, as the uh, to the Phillies deal as Bryce Harper has made it out to be. Uh, not even close. And uh, look, it, it, it's an embarrassment for Boris because the whole Philly contract, the way it was structured and set up with the 13 years and the $330 million was all about setting a record, was all about this. That, that's what it was about in part. That was all they had left, basically, to basically, you know, to crow about. And now that's taken from them. I mean, you know, I mean. It, you it, love this. Well, I, I, I think it's justice. I think it's justice in a way. I think Bryce Harper, uh, it, again, I don't dislike Bryce Harper. I liked Bryce Harper. But but he's 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 lied. He's lied about what happened in the process. You're, you specifically point out what you think he lied about. About that that there was $100 million in deferred money. And, and, and the Nats the, offer. And that the contract was only worth $180 million. That was the Boris line that was put out there. Not 180, there. 240 in present day money. Right. Well, it, it was much closer to the three hundred million. Okay. Uh, so I mean, I want to make sure everybody's clear on that. Tommy, he's the only person I've heard say this in town, and he w- he's right more often than he's wrong on these things. The complaint or what what you've read uh, from various sources about the Nats offer being a joke of an offer because there was so much deferred money in the deal. Tommy believes is totally inaccurate. There was nowhere near a hundred million dollars in deferred money, and that deal was worth much closer to the three hundred million that the the Nats believe they yes. offered Bryce yeah. Harper. Yeah, all that, all that I think I believe is the truth, and I just think that you have a media that was willing to swallow the Boris line, and now basically what whatever the truth was is is has just been dwarfed by the reality that, that Mike Trout is, is going to get a record-setting uh, sports contract for, nor- for, uh, uh, for an athlete, for a North American athlete. I mean, you know, no, no basketball player, no football player. You know, Harper did not have the, the, co- the record-setting contract for an athlete. Uh, Canelo Alvarez right. got a 10-fight, a ten, a ten $340 million contract. Right. From the, so uh, Trout's deal tops that, right? Yeah, yeah, basically tops that a lot. And uh, well, does it? Uh, what, what was it? Yeah, twelve yeah, for four thirty yeah, tops ten for yeah, yeah, that, ninety yeah. million dollars on, on the surface mm, right it's there. Not ninety, but it's whatever. Three hundred and forty and four hundred and thirty. It's like it's different. Like, like, yeah, but it, but it's the year difference too. So right. you're, you're you're getting yes. into the average. Go ahead. No, I'm not getting into. I'm getting in the total. Okay, T- total. Yes, but it wasn't. Yes. It's not an apples to apples years deal. Like right now, the the Trout versus Harper deal. 
first of all, were there opt-outs in the deal? No. Okay, no opt-outs no in opt -outs. that deal either. Um, you're talking about the difference of literally $10 million bucks a year in actual contract average, annual average. Yes. All right? I would ask both of you, who are much more uh, baseball people than I, is I know Trout's a better player and is perceived to be a better player than Harper. Is he $10 million a year better? Wow, that's a tough question. I, I think he is definitively better. I think he's considerably better. And while he might not be $10 million a year better, to uh, to overpay a little bit to lock him up long term if you're the Angels, it's worth it. I mean, your risk, your investment risk is far less with Mike Trout than it is with Bryce Harper. I just think, you know, whatever you're investing, the risk of him going south with Mike Trout is far less. Do you think Philly fans would have preferred this deal for Trout oh, versus the deal? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. But Mike Trout... Do you, you think know, Trout signed this extension? Do you think that it was... Uh, that it, the, the process of getting him signed to this ex extension was accelerated because of the Harper deal? It might have been. I, I think it may have been. It, it, it makes it, sense that it, it would have been. It might have ginned up the Angels front office. And it also may have said to Trout, you know what? I don't want to go to Philadelphia now. They just signed Harper to this big deal. And, and you know, Bryce, uh, Mike Trout may be smart enough to realize that going home is not all it's cracked up to be. There's a lot of different pressures. <laughs> Kevin Durant avoided it. Yeah, there's a lot of pressures. Uh, right now he has the best of both worlds. He can come home, be the star, go to the Eagles games and stuff. Uh, this way, uh, you know, when you come home, all your friends want a piece of you. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a lot to deal with. Hey, I, I'm, I, that wasn't the deciding factor, I'm sure. But I don't think it, it looked as good as, as people might think it was. Did you know this about Mike Trout? I think we've had this conversation before. If we have, just shut me off. That he has this incredible passion for weather. Did you know this? I didn't know about that. him. That like like I do for winter weather yes. in particular. Growing up in the Philadelphia area, he is a massive. You know, he's very much into winter storms, snowstorms, like I am. It, it, I found this out through Scott, who Scott's into the same thing yes. that that I'm into with the weather. And Trout is so into it. Follows the models from L.A. <laughs> when there's a storm in Philadelphia, he's sitting there paying attention to it. And on some level, I wonder if one of the reasons he would have thought about moving back east is to, to participate in some of these big snowstorms that he's been missing out in, 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 in Southern California. California. But for the most part, he is home probably in December, January yes. before. Yeah, he's going yeah. to Eagles games, yeah. for God's sake. Yeah, so um, anyway. So th th this, this is, and, and for everybody who thinks baseball is in trouble, they just signed a oh player to a $430 yeah. million dollar guaranteed contract. Yeah. My God. I mean, come the, on. The money in baseball. Yeah. And that's where, like, a Kyler Murray, I have no idea what kind of prospect he was. I know he was a very good prospect. Yeah. Baseball prospect. But, you know, he'll be – I mean, the things – you know, the NFL's king in this country. But baseball is – you're still a superstar athlete if you're a superstar in the sport of baseball. Um, you're not going to play in a Super Bowl, but you can play in a World Series. But – Man, the opportunity to earn the kind of money you can earn it's as a baseball player is so beyond what you can earn in football. It's guaranteed money. Except, you know, the quarterback position may be different. Like, if you have a dream as a young athlete of one day owning a team, 
and you have the choice of baseball or football, you play baseball. Yes. You're never going to earn in football enough well, money to buy a sports team maybe. like you will in baseball. Maybe. I mean, the quarterback not, quarterback gets the endorsements. Yeah. Peyton Manning may fall into that category. Yeah, but not by just stroking a check. He's going to no. have to raise a, a lot of money on his own. Yes. Whereas Trout... He'll have to raise some money to buy a sports team, but he could probably write the the bulk of the check himself. But, um, God, it is amazing to watch the the money that they get. Yeah. Uh, I did want um, also just to come back real quickly to the Redskins here for a moment and wanted you to weigh in on Landon Collins. You ended up writing a column after our last show, and I wanted you to talk about some of the things that you wrote in the column, which I actually thought – were you know somewhat new to the discussion about Landon Collins and DJ Swearinger? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, my question once the glow came off, and it was a deserved glow. It was a pretty good day uh, if you were a Redskins fan that you had this this star player who who obviously desperately wanted to play for your team, and that doesn't happen very often for for Redskins fans. Uh, and the whole story of the jersey, the Sean Taylor jersey. I mean, you know, even 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 made Dan Snyder f- seem human. So uh, I, I appreciate. But once the glow came off, I said, "Well, what did they what did they get? What did they get for their money? And how much did they improve themselves from where their position had been there earlier?" And I think people have forgotten that DJ Swearinger was uh, was a good safety and last year at times was a great safety. Well, as as described by you know pro football folks. Well, again, he he played very well at times. Yeah, he he wasn't he didn't well. play very well in every game. No, he didn't. But no, he, he didn't. but he was a major upgrade at the position. Right. You know, and, from and, a talent he, standpoint, he, production standpoint, and, and he costs you three million dollars a right. year. Uh, Landon Collins is is is, is going to cost you even even with the salary cap penalty with the with the signing bonuses and all that. I think it comes out to thirteen million dollars a year for the next two years, which would have been Swearinger's you know deal. He had he had a deal into next year, uh, and I just think that you know because people need to remember that DJ Swearinger isn't here because he was so disgusted with the coaching staff he couldn't keep his mouth shut. Now, that may be a D.J. Swearinger problem, but that doesn't mean he wasn't right about the coaching staff. And basically, you had to turn around and spend all this money on on filling that position again because the player you thought had that position locked up couldn't stand the coaches. I mean, that's all something to consider when when you're celebrating Landon Collins. That money could if 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 D.J. Swearinger was still here, they have that money to spend elsewhere. Yeah, I, I you pointed out something in your column that actually I had forgotten about. And I bet many of you forgot about it unless you didn't or you heard someone else talk about it. I forgot that he was right there at the center of that, you know, public feud with Eli Apple, oh, the corner yeah. from Ohio State. Called him a cancer. Yeah, called him a cancer, um really called him out publicly. I think he was right about Apple, and you know, Apple was not a very good corner at in New York, and quite frankly, wasn't that great in New Orleans either. Um, but I had forgotten about that, and one of the things that um, people have said about Landon Collins is what a great teammate and locker room presence he is, which would be you know 
contrary to DJ Swearinger, who rubbed several people in that locker room the wrong way. However, let not not to even mention a front office and a coaching staff. However, <clears throat> the minute he arrived, he had he had been here for five minutes. And they elected him captain last year. I understand that, but we've seen that with this organization yeah. before, you know, because there isn't enough leadership. But you know what? John Allen is becoming a voice and a presence in that locker room. And by the way, one of the more positive voices and presences that that locker room's had in a long time um, with respect to leadership. But I had forgotten about that. Not that I, I'm I'm being critical of it, but it was a public thing. Yeah, in other words, they, they didn't get, a, like I referred to him, they didn't get a shrinking violet when when they signed Landon Collins. He, he'll have strong opinions. By the way, I don't, I don't know if you, you probably didn't listen to the podcast last week without you. Was it without Tommy or with him? <clears throat> it was probably without you. Um, I just could not believe the attention that some in, some in the media and some in the fan base paid to this stupid jersey thing. Will he or won't he wear Sean oh, Taylor's where, where, jersey? Oh, Good yeah. God. Yeah. Enough already. Yeah. Who cares? I know. How about win a goddamn playoff game <laughs> and be, be a competitive outfit before we get tied? I mean, that's the only thing I'm worried about now. Sean Taylor, I, I said this, Tommy, on the podcast last week, there isn't one jersey, not one, based on merit in the Dan Snyder era that is worthy of protection. Not one. Not Chris Samuels, not Sean Taylor, not Santana Moss, not Clinton Portis, not Chris Cooley. But I also said, if the owner felt so close to this player, and we all felt the sting and the sadness of his death, it was an awful thing. An awful thing. If because of that, and the impact that that death and that tragedy had on the community, if he wanted to protect that jersey, I don't have a problem with it. But I don't have a problem if he doesn't do it either. Right. It's not a three-and-a-half-year career, I'm sorry, is not worthy of jersey protection. But, but, well, you know who's but, the most vocal about it? Redskins players who played with I understand with that. Taylor. They're the and most you know, passionate about and it. And do you know what? They didn't win anything either. I know. And none of their jerseys are worthy of protection either. So remember, you know, a lot of those players who, in some cases, I like those guys. I would consider some of them my friends. Uh, and in one particular case, a very close friend. You know, I have no problem telling Cooley or Clinton, you know, you guys, I think you have elevated yourselves in in Redskin history at a level that most Longtime fans, maybe not a recent generation fans, but if you took the fan base in general, you know, most people, uh, sorry, wouldn't put Cooley in the top 20 Redskins of all time. No. Won't even have him as their best tight end. They'll have Jerry Smith right. as the best tight end. Clinton Portis is not the best running back in franchise history. Um, John Riggins is. Larry Brown's probably second. I mean, Clinton's close, though. Clinton, uh, of that group, Clinton's the one that, based on production and performance and the kind of player he was, probably deserves the most credit of that era. And I'd put Samuel second. Yeah, but I agree. But not not worthy of jersey protection. I I agree with you that that it it, it held no interest to me whatsoever. I didn't care if he wore it or didn't wear it. Yeah, I don't want to spend any more time on it. Do you know DJ Swearinger? You know, he wore number three. The first words out of DJ Swearinger's mouth when he was interviewed after he signed with the Redskins were about Sean No, The same thing. And he paid... Uh, Sua Cravens seventy five thousand dollars. 
to wear number 36. Yeah. Which was Taylor's, uh, what, jersey when he was a rookie? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it was his it was rookie his rookie number. No, I know. I it, and uh, you know again, I mentioned this on the Friday podcast. It, Sean Taylor's influence is amazing to me. I mean, he played for three and a half years, and he was truly. We forget the first two years, hit and miss, a lot of big blow up plays, a lot of big blow up misses. You know, um, and you know there, there was the dissing of Gibbs. And there was the DUI, and there were a lot of things going on in those first two years that if you put yourself back to that moment, nobody you know, failed on missing on the talent part of it. It was clear and obvious from day one. This guy was a freak, a physical freak. But no one was convinced in those first two years that he was going to become right. this great all-time safety. But that third year, and then in that fourth year before he got injured, and then left for Florida, which turned out to be a tragic, you know, trip. He really was becoming a great player at the position. And, you know, you can't you can project, you don't know for sure, but it appeared as if he was on the verge of a a stretch of years that would have been dominant at the position. Absolutely. I I have no qualms in saying that. Not everybody agrees with that. I have no qualms in saying that. I felt that in the moment. I'll never forget that week as, as long as I live, that, that week uh, in November of 2007. And, and the season that he was having leading up to that, that Green Bay game. Remember that game, the multiple pick game that should have been like four or five picks? Um, he was, you know, he was going to be, I think, at the very least, you know, a, a perennial Pro Bowl All-Pro safety. Um, I think at the very least we could have projected further that he would have become he would have perhaps eclipsed Ken Houston as the greatest safety in franchise history. And if that's true, then he would have been on the way to a Hall, Hall of Fame, Fame career. career. Yeah. But you know, it, three and a half years ended tragically. Have no problem if that if that jersey's protected because of the impact that that death and that player and everything the circumstance had. Have no problem if they want to protect it. But really, the Dan Snyder era has not produced one jersey, not one, that's worthy on merit of protection. I, agree. I don't believe it I agree. has. I agree. Um, anyway, uh, the last thing that I wanted to mention on this very show today um, was something that I really don't want to talk about anymore this year, and that is my favorite professional NBA basketball team, the Washington Wizards. Uh-huh who really do stink um, and are among the worst defensive teams I can remember. But now that they are, you know, not mathematically out yet, but if, for anybody that still had, you know, this pipe dream that they were going to make a run to the 8th seed, they're now four and a half games out or whatever it is. Please, please, Ted, tell Ernie and Scott Brooks to tank the rest of the season. Do not win another game this year. Play nobody but young players on your roster. I don't want to see anybody good on the floor. I think you should rest Beal the rest of the way. I think you should sit Ariza. I think you should sit... Uh, if you want to take a, a longer look at Portis and Jabari Parker, they can't win games on their own with Sam Decker and, and Jordan McRae and Troy Brown Jr. That's who you should be playing. Bryant, play them tank the season, increase your odds as best as you can of getting, this is not a great draft, 
And if you want to have any chance of getting Zion, you've got to increase your chances of winning a draft lottery. You know, they're not gonna, tank the rest of the season. They're Ted. not going to. You're that. not going to the playoffs. You it's, dope. It's important for them to finish strong and actually maybe to even bring back Dwight Howard for the last ten games. <laughs> oh God! To, to, because well, that'll you know, ensure because, losing. Because Dwight Howard has an option to to come back next year. It's not a team option. It's a Dwight Howard option. So Dwight Howard's part of your future next year, probably. Well, so it would give it would give Wizards fans a chance to see, hey, this is what could happen next year when you've got Dwight Howard and Bradley Beal on the court together. Okay. Look how exciting that can be. Um, that's a it's a promise. Don't always live up to my promises. I know that. But that is a promise the way I feel today, not to speak about them. Excuse me, I just burped. Um, not to speak about them the rest of the year. Just tank, please. You stink. This is not a team that's going anywhere. you got to somehow try to get lucky and land a transcendent player. Yeah, but that's not going to happen either. they got a lousy GM. they got a lousy coach. They play in an arena that nobody shows up to watch, and they got an lousy owner, too, who should sell the team. Last thing for today. Uh, I was reading the Post this morning, and they had the final high school basketball rankings, the uh, boys' local uh, top 20 and the girls' local top 20. First of all, congratulations to uh, AZ Fudd over at St. John's. We've talked about her a couple of times. She is the Gatorade Girls, Girls Basketball Player of the Year, a sophomore. She's a prodigy. She is already you know, being called the greatest high school uh, female high school basketball player of all time, and she's only a sophomore. The female Steph um, Curry is what I'm seeing a lot of. Yeah. Uh, she, you know, I was told about her two years ago by Mike McCarthy, who's one of the longtime really good uh, girls basketball coaches in this area. He's coached visitation, Georgetown visitation for years about her as a freshman. Um, and so many of you out there I know are, are following her career. She's apparently just beyond. I saw her play a second half uh, last year at Georgetown Prep as part of that uh, day with, uh, you know, I forget what the charity is that they play for, but Prep played St. John's and then the St. John's girls played Georgetown Visitation. She was amazing. She didn't even, she wasn't even there for the first half and I think had 10 threes in the second half. Um, so congratulations to her. Also, I wanted to point this out. I knew there was a difference in the number of games private schools played versus public schools. Um, DeMatha played 38 games this year. 38 regular That's season That's almost half games. an NBA season. And then you go down in the rankings. Richard Montgomery from Montgomery County played 25 games. Did they? Did I think they won the States, or they were in the Final Four in the States. I don't know if they won it or not. But they went 23-2. Oh, no, they lost in the Maryland 4A semifinals. They played 25 games and played extra playoff games. DeMatha played 38. That's a big difference. I mean... Look, these are massive. In our area, we have incredible high school basketball, boys and girls. The WCAC is probably the best high school basketball conference in the country. There are the big basketball factory schools, you know, like IMG in Florida and others. But in terms of a conference, there's probably not a better basketball conference high school-wise in the country. And they play, in addition to their own conference schedule, they play a national schedule yeah. too. Yeah, they do. Um, and they start earlier than public schools do. But I never, I knew there was a big difference. I, I just was looking at that. And I'm like, wow, they play 13 more games than, than the public school team that went to the state semifinals. 
One more thing, and I think you have something, too, that you want to mention uh, about Mark Turgeon. But one more thing real quickly that I didn't mention yesterday that I was saving for you. Tyreek Hill, Kansas City's wide receiver, um, is now involved. uh, Police are now investigating two incidents involving Tyreek Hill. Earlier this month, officers took reports of a battery and child abuse or neglect neglect situation um, at his home earlier this month. There's now a second incident as well involving Hill. To what degree, we do not know yet. Specifically, he has not been charged with anything. There are two investigations. If he's charged with something, if he's charged with, you know, battery or child abuse, I think this would be a severe punishment for the league, given his background with his pregnant girlfriend from a few years ago, where he did serve some probation time, but did not serve jail time. It will, it will be a severe, it will be severe because the league is really feeling the heat uh, still about trying to deal with, with uh, domestic violence. And this is, you know, a different kind of domestic Kareem violence. Kareem Hunt got eight games. I know. I know. And I, 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 I still think they're, they're feeling the pressure to respond strongly to these kind of issues. I mean, I don't think he'd be banned from the league. But I think I, there's a possibility he could get banned from the league. I'd be shocked if that happened. I mean, I and I, my first reaction to the Bob Kraft thing was nothing's going to happen here. I mean, please, for the people that whose immediate reaction was he was going to lose his team, I heard some people say, "Well, that's absurd." Yeah, but the but this one. But don't say nothing's going to happen. This one. Don't say nothing's going to happen well, with nothing, Bob Kraft. No, he, he still has to go to no, court. He's going to. He's going to get right. There's the legal p- thing, and they'll probably give him some sort of four game suspension where he can't you okay. know show up at the facility or whatever. Who cares? Doesn't hurt his team. Right. Um, the the Hill thing. If you know the 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 details of the the pregnant girlfriend thing from back in 2015, how he choked his girlfriend who was pregnant at the time, um, and there were more sort of gross details from that. He he served, he, you know, he plead he he plead that deal out and and got probation for it, three years of probation. And I think it's been, I think Aaron mentioned it's been expunged from his record now, I guess. Yes. But we still all know that there was this domestic violence situation that was ugly, heinous. And if this involves a child, and, and you may speak to the Adrian Peterson situation, but if he's charged and convicted of something here, it's a year. It is a year minimum. If Kareem Hunt got eight games... I think with you're his, right. With it his is, track record, it's going to be a it year. It is a year minimum. I'd be shocked if it's more than a year. Look, I think it should be. I mean, I I, I think the NFL should have zero tolerance uh, when it comes to this kind of thing. Uh, if if it was more than my business and I had athletes like this uh, who were high profile in the public eye, uh, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want these kind of guys. On my on my payroll, but uh, I don't think the NFL is going to ban him for life. I think it'll be like a year tops. Man, can you imagine the Chiefs next year with no Hunt, no Hill? <laughs> I mean, they didn't have Hunt. <laughs> they the- got they got the biggest star in the league right now, and th- they've had a situation where they'll have not one but two of of his supplemental players, his star potentially. Players. Yeah, yeah, if the alleged uh, is charged. What's for going it. on, in Kansas? That that this is Kansas City. Yeah. Is where you had the off the, the lineman, uh, you know, go to right. the uh, well, facility. Well, that was years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but still, what what's wrong out there? Um, is it the beef? If if they didn't have Hill in 2019, 
Kansas City's odds for winning the AFC Championship would drop. And Cleveland would then become the second favorite in the AFC <laughs> behind New England. Really, if they lose Hill, even with Mahomes, that will be an impactful odds situation to to not have Hill coming back. He's such a unique. Well, think about the West. Threat. Think about just the AFC West right now. I know. I mean, Oakland, o- Oakland Denver, uh, Denver, Denver with Flacco and yeah. a really good defense. And you got the Chargers I th- coming back. I, a lot of people are laughing at that. I think Denver is going to be a surprise team next year. I agree with you. Uh, and then you've got the Chargers. So, yeah. Um, all right, you had one other thing. Well, I, I mean, I heard Mark Turgeon uh, on the way in this morning on on the, with the Junkies, the Maryland coach, and he said something I thought that was really interesting, something that I tend to agree with, uh, but I think most, uh, most of people like you don't. He says when, when they're double teaming, when they're going inside to Bruno and the other teams are double teaming, the coaching staff thinks – that means they win. They think their philosophy is if they can get the other team to double team Bruno, that means that they'll they'll be a three on two situation out there, uh, outside of that that they'll be able to win. So they see that as a positive, and and Bruno obviously had trouble with it, uh, you know, with with Nebraska, but he shouldn't be having this much trouble with it at this point of the season because they've been doing it to him all season. I, I thought he's handled it pretty well the one time I saw them play against Purdue, at least in the second half. But for people who are looking like you, who are looking for this grab the ball, fly, you know, speed up the tempo of the game, uh, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. Okay, they're, so I didn't I didn't hear him say it, but what you're saying, I mean, my, my first response is, yes, there's always an advantage if you have a, a good player – that's double teamed that and you've got a a scheme and a player capable of of making a team pay for that double team well, they, they which see they, that as a win well it's only a win if you make them pay for the double team i grant you that bruno's had too many turnovers which is not winning against the double team uh in recent weeks and they they it's been inconsistent in their ability to handle the double team there have been games where they've handled it beautifully and they've yes. made teams pay and there have been other games like the nebraska game in the tournament where they handled it poorly yeah. and it hurt and them and he but, did say he did say uh, in that Nebraska game, that Bruno did not handle it well. He specifically said his reaction was not what, was not what they hoped for. But my, my another response that I would have to that is if this is your big advantage, and I don't disagree that of course if you have a a good player that gets double teamed, then you are four on three yeah. th- everywhere else. But you got to be able to handle that double team. You got to have a scheme to, to handle it. Typically, Tommy, it's you react quickly with pass, or you react quickly before the double gets gets there to get to the rim. They've invited the double, and they're trying to have him pass to beat it. They have not been consistent with that, though. I agree. Okay, so that's a problem. But what I would say is, if you know you're so convinced that this is the big advantage that you have, then why doesn't every single possession? Go through Bruno on the post. I agree. Because it doesn't. I know. No, you're right. right just so you know, not every possession I know. is Bruno in the post. They have Bruno at the elbow a lot, uh, initiating the offense through Bruno at the, at the elbow a lot. As, uh, sometimes in certain games, as much as they have him on the on the post. I But in general, I would never disagree with that. If you've got a good big who commands a double and you've got a scheme and a player capable of making that team pay 
for double teaming you, it's a great situation to be in. They've been more often than not pretty good against the double team, but not 100%. In fact, I would put Aaron, they've handled the double team at about a 60% hit rate this year. You know, something like that. Yeah. You know, 60%. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I I need the, the tape for every game. But just watching every game... 60, 65% of the time they've handed, handled the double pretty well. But that leaves 35 to 40% of the time that they're not handling it well. And when they don't handle it well, typically what it ends up in is turnover. Yes. All right? Because Bruno is up there among their turnover leaders. Um, and or uh, not, the e- not the easy shot that should come, the open shot that should come from doubling the post. Uh, it doesn't always uh, the, result the, in that. The, this is this is their style. This is their plan. This is what they're going to do. And it's obvious that their plan yeah. has been all year. They they are more comfortable. He's more comfortable coaching a half court lower possession game. Yeah. And one of the things that I've pointed to all year long to all the Maryland fans, as I have said, I'd prefer up tempo. I've also said, Aaron, this year they actually have a half court offense that can work and has worked because they've got a low post player that commands double teams in Bruno Fernando. So, yeah, I get that. I just would like to see them be better at handling the double. Um, and I and, thought it was interesting that he he came out yeah, and said that. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it, then every single possession should start with Bruno on the post. That makes if sense. that's their big advantage, and it doesn't all the time. Uh, all right, so you're back on Thursday in studio. Yes, I am. Awesome. <laughs> what we haven't told you though is we are starting very early on Thursday. Are you still going to be here? Because it's the tournament, and we have this sense that Thursday, if we don't get the show out early, people are going to be wrapped up into the tournament all day, and our you know our listening audience would suffer because of it. We want to have we want to give people the chance to listen to the show early Thursday. Well, you know me, anything for the team, buddy. You know me. I'll buy you breakfast. Anything for the team. Buy- anything I can do. To help the podcast, you know me. Pal. I'll buy you breakfast, and if you decide to opt out, um, it, it's okay. You'll you can still call in. How early? We'll talk about that when we're done here. Okay. Uh, thanks to Aaron. Thanks to Tommy. <laughs> um, we'll have some guests on the show tomorrow to get you ready for the tournament. Enjoy the day.